So today, as, as Abby said, we're continuing this series on the early Acts. I as well, I've just, I've just loved being able to just spend time in Acts. I, I, I really uh, think it's, it's powerful when we get to spend time in Scripture. We've been looking in this series at how the first church lived, kind of, kind of dropping in on the first church and seeing how they lived and seeing how that can inform how we live in our lives. But today we're going to do that. We're going to continue to look at how the church lived, but we're going to do so through looking at how Jesus interacts with us. And so we as the church are meant to be a reflection of him, and so we're going to look at how he, he interacts with us. And, and this aspect of Jesus's heart, how he interacts with us, how he's loving and compassionate with us. Um, th- this is why I fell in love with Jesus. It really is. I, I've told you guys before I didn't grow up in the church, but this aspect of who he is, is is why I fell in love with him, that he sees people, that he sees me, that he doesn't just walk past, he doesn't just race past because there's more important people or more important things to do. He actually stops and sees people, sees me, and what he sees is somebody who's imperfect, he sees brokenness and he sees things that aren't right, yet even in that, he offers his hand and he says, join me, join me in my healing work in your life and in this world. Join me in the process. That is what I come back to again and again and again for refreshment. And when that aspect of Jesus' character, his love and compassion is lived in the world by the church for the world to actually benefit from, when I run the risk of losing hope in my life, that is what brings me back to life. And so my hope is, as we dig into this today, it will bring you back to life as well. So here's what we've looked at. Two weeks ago, we began this series, and we looked at how we need a God who tells us the truth. We need a God who actually meets us where we are, tells us the truth about ourselves, which isn't always good news, but brings good news into that. That's the gospel. We need God to be that for us. In the second week, uh, last week, we looked at how we need community, and there's actually a shape and a form to the community that we're made for that we need. We need community that, uh, that, that looks up and looks out, that looks up to who God is and looks out to the world around us, that loves God and loves people. That's the bullseye of life, and that's what we're meant to pursue together. That's the community we need. And this week, we're going to look at how we need to imitate Christ for the sake of others, because that is how the gospel actually touches the world. And so if you open Acts, you see uh, the church coming to life. That's, that's what you see kind of right at the beginning. You see the church coming to life in this really surprising way. The gospel unites this really diverse group of people, people from different backgrounds and languages and cultures and nations and colors, all come together to make up the first church because Peter preaches the gospel, that Jesus died once for all and he, there's victory in his resurrection and 3,000 people become followers of Jesus at Pentecost and that forms the first church. And then after the church is formed, they, they don't just say, okay, now we have an affiliation. They actually commit to each other for each other's benefit. They care for and serve each other. They commit to God's word. As they looked up to who God is, they actually saw they needed to look out and see people the way God does. And so they shared meals and they shared prayer. And now in Acts chapter three, what we're gonna look at today, we see what happens when the church moves out of the gathering and into the world. When they open the doors and actually go out, this is what it's supposed to look like. And so Acts chapter 3 begins this way. Peter and John, two of Jesus' earliest followers, now leaders in this new thing called the church, go to the temple for prayer. And as they're on their way to the temple, right outside the temple gate called Beautiful, uh, they see this man who was born without the ability to walk, and he's there begging. 
And he, he was born without this ability. This will be important later. He's never walked before, and he's out begging for coins. And we find out in chapter 4, if we look a little further down the road, because we follow this guy's story for a little bit in Acts, we learn that he's in his 40s. And so one of the things I had to deal with this week is... Uh, uh, being in your 40s meant you were a senior citizen in this time and place. And so I've had to kind of deal with it. Some time in history, I would have been considered a senior citizen, and that was a lot for me to deal with. But then I thought, in my time and place in history, I'm just a young whippersnapper, so everything's fine. Uh, but I have had to deal with that a little bit uh, th this week. Um, but So you've got this senior citizen unable to walk from birth, uh, and he had to be carried to this spot at the temple outside the, the, the beautiful gate, it's called. It was a 75-foot archway, uh, these giant wooden doors covered in Corinthian brass. It was absolutely a beautiful place. And so people would move in and out of the temple from here just to catch a view and, and to, to kind of awe at all that God can, can do. And so for this guy, it was a volume game. This is where he would have people, have people deliver him because there were so many people moving out, in and out. And so if you ask enough people, someone will toss you a coin or two and you have enough to survive. And so that was his life every single day uh, was just asking uh, for, for a couple of coins. And so Peter and John passed this guy uh, and, the, and the man does what he'd learned to do, what he'd been trained to do. He asked for a gift. He asked for money. He asked for alms. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 3, Starting in verse 4, it's in your bulletin. If you have your Bible, you can open it up. Uh, if you've got a Bible app, you can look at that, or you can just listen along. But Peter looks straight at this man without the ability to walk, born without the ability to walk. He looks straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's hands and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. This is how the church should move out of the gathering and into the world. This is the blueprint for us. This is how we should imitate Christ. If you remember from the beginning of Acts, Luke says, uh, in my former book, I told you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. His former book was the Gospel of Luke. And so Luke tells us what Jesus began to do and teach, but Acts tells us what Jesus continues to do and teach through people empowered by his spirit living in, in the world. And that's us. And so they're out in the world imitating Christ, and this is what we should be doing today as the church in Orlando today. We should be imitating this aspect of Jesus' character. And there are amazing similarities between parallels between what happens here in Acts chapter 3 and something that happened in Jesus' ministry, which makes a lot of sense because we're called to imitate Christ. And so that's what Peter and John are doing here. So we should go back there and see what it was that they were actually imitating. A couple of years before Pentecost, before the church is formed, before Acts chapter 3 and Peter, John, and the man born without the ability to walk, something else happened. Jesus' followers in John chapter 9, ask Jesus a question as he's moving through the city. And so they're, they're walking through this busy city, and Jesus' followers ask Jesus, uh, they point at a guy, they look at a guy, and they're like, who sinned, this man or his parents, that this guy was born blind? So they find a man blind from birth, and they're like, hey, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, if that seems callous at all, like maybe uncaring to ask a question like that, probably within earshot of the guy. They were probably like, hey, this guy here, see him? 
He's blind, right? Who, who sinned? This guy or his parents that he was born blind? So if that seems callous or uncaring to you, it is. Like, it's a really awful thing to do. This question had nothing to do with compassion for this guy. It was a question about justice, but it had nothing to do with caring or really even seeing the individual that they were talking about. And so this is theology with no heart. The popular theory in Jesus' day is, uh, is that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. Actually, that's a theory that persists to, to this day. Some of us actually operate in, in this way, but that's karma. That's not the gospel. And so they ask this callous, uncaring question, theology with no heart. But good theology always has heart. Always. I remember when I was in seminary, when I started at Summit, I was, I was working here at Summit, and I was in seminary and trying to balance all of those things, and I was in a class where we were uh, conjugating Greek verbs and looking at their implication in the New Testament and how we in, interpret uh, the, the, the New Testament. If that sounds interesting to you, seminary is going to be great. You should totally sign up today. Uh, but that's like seminary stuff that, that you do. And it was an interesting conversation. It does have ramifications for how you see the scriptures. But the conversation was going long. And the class was supposed to be over, and then it was like 10 minutes over, and then it was like 20, and then it was like 30 minutes over time. And it was clear that the professor wanted to finish this conversation, and you were expected to stay, and so I did. The problem is that I missed a meeting, a pastoral care meeting that I had scheduled with a guy whose marriage was imploding. And he was in the darkest place in his life, and I missed that meeting to sit and talk about how to conjugate Greek verbs. Now, this isn't an anti-seminary story. It's not even an anti-professor story. He was doing his job, and it was important work. But, but, but I remember thinking as I left that day, I don't ever want to sit talking theology and miss caring for people ever again. I don't ever want to be that kind of pastor. I don't ever want to be that kind of person again. I don't want theology with no heart. If I have to choose, and I don't have to choose very often, but if I have to choose, I will always choose caring for people more than having theological conversations because it's what I see in Jesus' life. So the disciples asked this callous question, hey, this guy over here, this blind guy, who sinned, this, this guy or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus responded, neither this man nor his parents sinned. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. He's like, that guy's not an object lesson. Stop pointing at him. So that the work of God might be displayed, not just through his life, not just like for other people to see like, oh, God is good, but actually in his life. I want to start with a basic truth, and it's important. God cares about you as an individual. He cares about you. That's why he came. That's why he died for you. Whatever you're going through, whatever you walked in with, Today, you are not a lesson. You are loved way more than that. But the reality is we do live in a fallen, broken, imperfect world. It's not as it should be. Just turn on the news. We all know it's true. And part of what that means is there will be sin and disease and death that shows up in places that it was never supposed to. There are times when things don't add up. Like sometimes the, the, the things we experience are a consequence of us making wrong decisions. We all know what that feels like, but sometimes they just aren't. Sometimes the effects of sin and brokenness and fallenness, they just bump into people. And what Jesus is saying here so that the work of God might be displayed in his life is he's saying, I can bring rightness 
I can do something new, even in this reality. And so after saying this, this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life, Jesus uh, does something weird. I just want to say it up front, and then I'll tell you what he did. He does something really weird. He, he takes, he spits on the ground, and he, he like plays in the, makes mud out of it. That's weird. And then he picks it up and rubs it in the guy's face. You can be, it's okay, like that's weird. Like you can just be like, yeah, 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 but it's Jesus. You're not, no, it's a weird thing that he did there. And so uh, rubs spit and, and saliva and mud on this guy's eye and he's like, okay, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so this guy has spit and mud on his eyes. He's never been able to see before and he's got dirt on his face and Jesus is spit. By the way, if you're hanging out with Jesus, always carry hand sanitizer. I'm just like, if you read the Bible, that's, it's a good idea. Uh, and so he's got spit saliva, and he's like, go to the Pool of Siloam. He had to walk through the city, densely populated city, down a treacherous staircase to get to the Pool of Siloam. And he does, he does. He goes, washes, and then he's able to see for the first time in his life. What is Jesus doing here? Well, it's a pretty clear reference to in Genesis 1 where it says God created humanity out of the dust of the ground. Jesus is like, hey, I don't want you to miss this. This isn't as much a healing story. This is a new creation story. I can bring new things into this world. This is proof. The guy was born blind, now he sees. The man at the temple gate at Acts had never been able to walk before. God does new things. And so maybe for you, this is the most important thing that I'm gonna say today. If you're like, I know, I'm never... I'm never gonna be free from this struggle. I'm never, I, I just quit. I'm never gonna be free from this struggle. I may keep coming to church and I may keep proclaiming Jesus, but I'm never gonna be free from this struggle. God can do new things. If you're like, you know what, I, I've, I'm, never, I'm never gonna be okay after what happened. I'm never gonna be able to feel love. I'm ne it's never gonna be okay. God can do new things. If you're, if you're here and you're like, you know what, I, I get it and Jesus died for me and that's fine, but I'm never gonna be able to do anything significant. Every time I try to do something significant, it fails. I'm never gonna be good enough. I'm never gonna, God can do new things. There are three things we can draw from this. They all build on each other. Number one, and this is important, God does new things. He's not done doing new things. Back to Acts chapter three. You have Peter previously asking this callous theological question with no heart in the face of need. He was one of the ones that were there. Hey, who sinned, this man or this guy? This guy's parents, he was born blind. Previously asking this callous, no heart question, now empowered by the Spirit, imitating Jesus, showing love and compassion to this man who couldn't walk. Peter bends down and he says to the man, he says, look at me, I see you. Do you see me? I see you. Look at me. That's actually an odd thing. We can, we can kind of blow right past that, but this is actually a really odd thing. Remember, the going idea of the time was bad things happen to bad people, so that means this guy is a sinner. And people that are pursuing a holy life don't associate with sinners. It's actually what got Jesus in so much trouble. He was hanging out with sinners. People were like, he can't be who he said he is. He's hanging out with sinners. So this man didn't expect eye contact. He's outside the temple gate. These are where the holy people are going to do holy things. And I'm but a sinner. That's why this has happened to me. 
So he expected to have to look down in humility. And he also, being disabled, wouldn't have been able to actually go through this beautiful 75-foot archway with the Corinthian brass doors because that was for, for people that were okay and he wasn't okay. He was unclean. And so he was trained to be outside of relationship, trained to be outside of community, not allowed in. He was trained to be alone, head down, hand out. And so what Peter offers, more than a cure to the physical ailment, was a cure to the condition of isolation. Peter imitates Jesus. He sees this man, and he stops, and he cares. That's where the healing started. Not sometime later, not when he stood to his feet, not when his ankles got strong. That's where the healing started. Look at me. I see you. Do you see me? I see you. The man gets treated with dignity. That's the beginning of the healing. Abby took a trip to New York in the spring with her sister and her sister, uh, sisters-in-law. And, um, it was a really great trip. And, uh, but uh, one morning, they were going into a donut shop. And there was a man who appeared to be homeless outside of that donut shop. And an interesting interaction happened. Uh, the man had money in his hand, and he, and he asked Abby, hey, could you go in and buy me a donut? And so Abby was kind of trying to catch up with the the conversation and what was happening and because it was kind of a unique interaction. And she was like, no, I'll buy you a donut. He's like, no, 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 I have money. They just won't serve me in there because of how I look. So if you, if you buy, buy it for me, I'd really appreciate it. And so they had this kind of confusing interaction. Eventually she, she gets the donut and comes back out. And as she's coming back out, she hears the man saying basically to himself, um, he, there may have been some mental health things going on there, but, but basically saying, to himself, it's not even that I'm hungry. This is what he says. It's not even that I'm hungry. I'm just so alone, and no one sees me. And he was repeating that over and over again. I'm not even really hungry. It's just that I'm so alone, and no one sees me. This is one of the most densely populated cities in the world. Undoubtedly, thousands of people walk past this individual every day, and no one sees him. That donut didn't fix everything. It wasn't the fullness of justice and righteousness in this world but it didn't hurt. It changed a moment for this man who's made in the image of God. That matters. He was noticed. He was seen. And we all long to be seen. Peter treats this man born unable to walk with dignity. But do you ever think he could have said no like the guy who, who was born without the ability to walk, he could have said, no thanks, right? The blind man that Jesus interacts with, he could have said no, right? It was a really difficult thing that, that Jesus was asking this guy to do. Again, he's got mud all over his face and Jesus is spit and that's gross and it's a densely populated city and the treacherous little staircase to get down to the pool of Siloam. It could have been embarrassing to have like the, the mud and stuff on his face and he could have been tripping because he didn't know how, how to get there. He could have been like, no thanks, the man outside the temple gate could have, could have said, look, I've never walked before. You want me to try to stand up in front of all these people just because you said the name of Jesus? Like I'm supposed to trust you to try to stand up? What if I can't stand? What if it doesn't work out? No thanks. I'll save the disappointment. Or maybe he believed that he could, like maybe he was like, you know what, maybe, maybe this name of Jesus thing, maybe, maybe I can stand up, but... For 40 years, I've been doing this every day. This is the only thing I know how to do. If I actually stand up right now, it changes everything, and I don't know if I'm ready for all of that. No thanks, just give me a little money. They could have said no. 
They could have said, look, you don't understand my life. You don't understand the complexity of what's going on. You don't understand how difficult things are for me. I'll pass. On my last trip to Africa, I was with the staff of the Africa Windmill Project, and uh, they're just doing awesome work in helping rural farmers in sub-Saharan Africa uh, create stability, food stability for themselves and their entire communities. I mean, they're just doing awesome work. But while we were there, we're doing a devotional time, and this came up. This, these two scriptures came up, John 9 and, and Acts 3, and, and we talked about them, and a guy, asked, a guy on the staff asked a question, and I'm like, these are like my favorite scriptures, right? These are the things that bring me to life, like I said. And so I thought I'd kind of searched the depth of them. And a guy asked a question, and it rocked me for two days. He said, do you think the people standing around thought Jesus was cruel? I mean, it was kind of a weird thing to ask. Why didn't Jesus just make it easy? It's like, boom, make it, like, boom, make it happen. Like, do you, think, do you think people thought he was cruel for asking people to do difficult things? So is Jesus cruel when he asks us to do difficult things? Or does he want to invite us to trust him? Even in our brokenness. Even with the things that aren't right. Even with the things that aren't complete, aren't fulfilled, aren't perfect. Is he asking us to trust him even with that? I mean, is our trust in him so valuable to him that he's willing to think we, he, he's cruel? Here's how this should matter for us. The difficulty or the complexity of the task doesn't excuse us from taking our next right step. It never does. Difficulty or complexity never excuses us. The man born blind, the man without the ability to walk, they got up. God can do new things if we trust him to use us even in our brokenness. Difficulty doesn't excuse us. People united around Jesus as Lord and Messiah, the one who frees, but also the one who guides us, the one who doesn't just send people to the pool to wash, the one who says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from them. Difficulty doesn't excuse us from believing that God can do new things if we're willing to trust him even in our brokenness. See, last week we talked about community and how we need community and how the community we need looks up to who God is and, and in turn understanding who God is, we look out to care for others. So we can hear statistics, as a community, we can hear statistics like one in three children in sub-Saharan Africa are undernourished. Or we can hear a statistic like in Orlando, our own city, if you want to get a little closer to home, Orlando ranks dead last in major cities in median income, which means there are people that work really hard, probably harder than the rest of us, and don't make enough to actually provide for their families. That's up to a quarter of our population, the people that you bump into every day. We can hear stats like 50% of foster families, after going through about a year of training and certification, quit after one foster child placement because it's so hard. Or we can hear stats like in Bithlow, which is just right down the street, one of the communities that feeds into East River High School where we have partnerships. They have disproportionately low income, disproportionately high illiteracy, disproportionately high unemployment. There are toxic chemicals that actually seep into the water system, and so uh, clean water is, is almost non-existent in, in much of that community. There's no, uh, up until a year ago, no permanent doctor's office in the entire community, no bus route, no public 
access to transportation, which means the things that would actually change the situation of underemployment, unemployment, illiteracy rates are actually, there's no access to those things. We can hear all those things and we can say to ourselves, they probably deserve it. That's what the disciples did. Who sinned, this guy or his parents? Because he deserves this. And you might say, well, I would never do that. We might do something that's nearly as bad. We can see how things are and go, well, it's just how it is. Big problems, big difficulties, and somehow feel emotionally satiated and be like, okay, well, I, at least I care. Not enough to actually do anything, but like, at least I care. At least I see what's going on. Let me be clear. If following Jesus, if what you think your next right step is leads you to indifference or definitely even worse, hatred for others, it isn't Jesus you're following. It's not him you're imitating. There's a Hebrew phrase, tikkun olam. It means uh, repairer of the world. And it's a phrase that is most often attributed to God and his character. But it's also oftentimes attributed to God's people. God's people are called to be healers, repairers of the world as well. So the question is, are we willing to join God in his healing work? He's the one that does the healing. He's the one that brings health. He's the one that brings restoration and hope into this world. He's it. But are we willing to trust him with the difficult steps of joining him? This 40-year-old man takes Peter's hand. And he stands up eye to eye with another human for the first time in his life. He took a risk and he took the difficult step of standing. And he was able to look eye to eye with someone for the first time. And with that hand, he's helped through his next step. And now, having been given something he'd never had before, the ability to walk, what does he do? Because I think this is fascinating. Like, what do you do when you actually get free? This thing that, that's maybe uh, kind of hindered you for your whole life, when you actually get free from that, what do you do? What do you do next? Here's what he does. Verse 8, he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. That makes sense. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. He became a witness. That's what he did. That's what he did with the freedom. He became a witness. Remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8? Jesus' words to his church, the thing that's repeated over and over again in Acts, the thing that we're called to, the, to this day. Jesus looks at his followers and he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We're the ends of the earth, by the way. We're only here because of this call taken up by God's people. So this guy becomes a witness. Given the freedom, he becomes a witness he gets swept up in the movement. And it seems like he can't help it. He can't help to share the news of a God who loves him and the news of God's people who show it. He can't help but share. And so the healing leads to healing. That's the way of it with all the miracles, all the healings in the New Testament. Anyone that you open up and read, that's what happens. The healing leads to healing. The, the man who uh, was demon-possessed, he was actually left for dead. They made him go live in a tomb. You can't be more left for dead than that. Go live in a tomb, in a graveyard. Jesus comes, frees him from the demon. He's like, oh, I'm gonna go with you. And Jesus is like, no, go back home. Go be a witness. The man with the shriveled hand, sitting on the sidelines, 
on the day of worship, can't, can't fully participate. Jesus takes him by the hand, brings him up to the center of the stage, heals him in front of everybody, and he's like, now there's nothing standing in the way of you being in community. Now nothing can hold that back. The leper who uh, Jesus heals, and he says, go to the priest to be certified as clean. Why? He's, he's healed. He's clean. He's, he's not a leper anymore. His skin is, is all back to normal. Why to go to the priest? Because when the priest certifies you, that means you can go back home. If you're a leper, you were pushed to the outside of the city. You couldn't walk the streets with, with the, the people of the city. And so your family would actually put food on the doorstep. And after curfew, after everybody went to bed in the middle of the night, you would come and get food just to survive if you were a leper. But if you go to the priest to be certified now, you can go back home. You can go back to community. The healing always leads to healing. The ultimate healing is the restoration of relationship. Community. That's the healing behind the healing. And if that's what healing leads to, restored relationships and community, then this man who couldn't walk and now can is joining in the healing. Because when the people saw him running and jumping, which I actually love, by the way, man, I love that he's running and jumping, right? He's totally trusting. He's like, I'm good now. And he's running and jumping. I know when I see God do incredible things, sometimes you know what I do? I'm like, praise God, he's so good. What's for lunch? I just move on, right? Like, it's just no big deal. Or I, like, okay, who cares? Not this guy. He can't help it. He's like, I'm running, I'm jumping, I'm praising God. And what happens? Verse 10, as a result of him being so excited, the people that were standing around inside the temple were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Because who wouldn't be? They saw this guy outside every day, couldn't walk. Now he's running and jumping and praising God. Like, why wouldn't you be amazed by that? But let me translate. When the people saw him praising God, they were drawn into what God is up to. When they saw him praising God, they were drawn in into what God is up to. The guy says, look, I'm, I'm new. I'm new. I can walk. Come check out what God is up to. Watch, I'll jump for you if you want me to. Like, like I'll do it. Like, just come check this out. That's our job. That's our work. I'm new. Come check out what God is up to. I'm new, come check out what God is up to. I'm new, I promise, I, I know it's crazy, but like, come check out what God is up to because God can do new things if we trust him to use us even in our brokenness to take part in the healing, to be part of the healing. Are there places where maybe God wants to do something and he's reaching out his hand or someone's reaching out their hand that's been given to you by God and you say, no thanks, I'm not risking it too difficult, too big, too, too challenging, too daunting. I've never seen anything like that before. It's too much. I'm not doing it. What if it doesn't work out? And we stay on the mat begging. God, please give me work. Please. I'm desperate. I want to work. I want to provide value in this world. Please give me work. Somebody offers you a job. Well, I'm overqualified for that one. God, please heal this relationship. Please heal this relationship. I'm not going to take the first step, though. They need to come to me. God, please help me with my finances. It's so upside down right now. I don't know how I got myself in this situation. I'm so sorry. Please help me with my finances. I don't have time to do a budget. Who's got time for that? God, please help those in need. I don't like seeing all this brokenness in the world. I don't like seeing all this pain and, and hurt. God, please come and set the world right, but I don't want to give up my comfort. Sometimes we want God to do a miracle rather than wanting to join him in one. And I know that. 
because I've felt it. I've felt it this year. Even as I've stood up here and I've been excited about this new local service focus about caring for vulnerable children locally and doing that through local schools and in particular through this, this foster care support, uh, supporting foster families, I've felt it. I've felt that like, God, I want you to do amazing things in this world and in our community. I'm not sure if this is going to work out. And I, like, what if we fail? Like, should we even, should we even jump into this? This is so big. There's so much hurt. Foster children, I mean, you can read statistic after statistic. Just Google it. There's so much hurt in this world and in these kids' lives. Maybe we shouldn't even risk it. I don't think we'll heal every wound of every child in the Orange County foster care system. I can't imagine we will. Certainly we won't without Jesus. But healing is happening. It's actually happening. As we believe God can do new things and we've trusted him to use us even in our brokenness, even in our imperfection, even in what we don't know we don't know, and we've joined him in the, like healing is happening. Abby, who uh, is uh, my wife and goes to New York in the spring uh, and, uh, and is also one of our lead advocates um, on, on our uh, foster care coordination teams, uh, she got a text from one of the foster families that we have a care team around. And a care team, if you're just trying to catch up with this conversation, a care team is a group of people at Summit that commit to a range of things like bring meals to families and provide babysitting and mentoring and form relationships and care for, for, these, uh, for these families that are they're doing this amazing work of fostering. And so Abby got a text from one of the moms. He said this, I was just thinking this week, what would I have done without the wraparound uh, support you guys are giving? It's been a tough go, really tough, really and truly. Yesterday, one of our foster kids, they have three, was in trouble for something and had to forego the beloved pool privilege. privilege. Sunday was setting up to be a long day. In came our care team, though. Kelly and Neil were scheduled to bring us dinner. I asked them to stay. They and their family ate with us. Then their kids played with our foster kids. They danced, they rode bikes, they laughed together. Our foster kiddos came out of hiding. Who knew the children of wraparound caregivers would provide the best kind of care in the end? It's holy work you guys are doing. Thank you for including me and my family. That statistic, by the way, 50% of foster families quit because it's so hard, it's so isolating, it's so challenging. You seem to find yourself way outside of community all alone. 50% quit after the first foster child placement because it's just so hard. If you put a care team around a foster family, the statistic flips upside down. 90% last longer than one placement. It changes everything. Community does. God can do new things if we trust him to use us even in our brokenness to take part in the healing. But there is a lingering question and we have to deal with it. There's something hanging in the air. Why? Why did Peter extend his hand to this guy? Why did he do it? Why did he imitate Jesus? We know that he did imitate Jesus, but why? Why did he go from theology with no heart to love and compassion? Because he'd experienced love and compassion from Jesus, because he knew what it was like to have a hand extended to him. In the in-between time, in between John 9 and Acts 3, 
Jesus is on trial to be crucified. And he's an innocent man that's gonna be crucified for us. He's gonna give his life away for us. But in that time and place, it's not good to associate with people that are on trial to be crucified. And so people ask Peter, like, hey, don't you know this Jesus guy that's on trial? And he denies he even knows Jesus. And Jesus is crucified and he dies. He's put in a grave. And Peter's brokenhearted. And he goes back to his old life. He was a fisherman before he goes back to fishing. And then Jesus is resurrected. He comes back from the grave and he stands right in front of Peter and he has this brutal conversation around a fireside. And in the English, it, it reads a, a certain way. It reads like Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. Do you love me? I love you, feed my sheep. Do you love me? I love you, feed my sheep. It sounds repetitive in the English, but in the Greek, it's different. Maybe some of that Greek work actually meant something. But uh, it's very, very different. It reads very different in the Greek. It's more like this. Jesus comes to Peter and he says, do you love me as I've loved you? And Peter says, I love you like a brother. Jesus says, that's enough. Get up. Get back to it. Get back to showing love and compassion and gospel to people. Invite people in. And then Jesus asks him again, do you love me as I've loved you? And Peter says, no. I wish I could, I wish I had it in me, but I don't. I don't have it in me. You love me way more than I love you. And Jesus says, it's okay, get up. Go give people love and compassion and gospel. And then he asks him a third time, but this time he actually lowers the bar. Jesus lowers the bar and he says, do you love me at all? And Peter's like, yeah, I do. Not like I should, but yes, of course, I love you. And he's like, that's enough to get started. That's all you need, get up. Get going, give people love and compassion and gospel. It's enough to start. Maybe you're here and you're like, I can't, I can't see how this is gonna work out for me. This thing that's in front of me, it's so big. I don't know how it's gonna work. Jesus says, trust me. You're like, I don't know exactly how to go. I don't know exactly how to get there. Jesus says, trust me, get up, trust me. You say, well, I, I don't know how I'm gonna make it to the, to the destination through all this crowded and complicated process that it's gonna to take to get there. Jesus says, get up, trust me. But you're like, yeah, but I know it's gonna be hard after what happened. It's probably gonna to be too hard for me to even get there because of all my junk that I've got going on. Jesus says, trust me, get up, trust me, walk. Peter was the denier at Jesus' trial and he's restored by the grace of Jesus. He was broken too, but he was restored. And he wanted to help others be restored. Once you realize you aren't all right, yet Jesus loves you anyway, you can and, and should help others know it. And maybe you hear this and, and you'd be like, yeah, 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 I, I hear a lot about this kind of topic, this topic of like things not being right and brokenness. And I'm not really comfortable with that. I don't like being lumped in. I don't like being boxed into that kind of group of all the brokenness and all that. I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm good, man. I have no doubt relatively you are. Are you telling me there's like nothing that keeps you up at night? Nothing that creates fear or anxiety or anger in your life? 
There's no relationship where you wish it could just start over. It's drifted away from where it should be, and you just wish it could start over. Or maybe specifically your relationship with Jesus has drifted, and you're like, man, I just wish I could kind of start this thing over. To say I'm good is to deny that you're a beggar on a mat. Or maybe you're on the other side of the equation. Maybe you're like Peter, and, uh, and, and you're just kind of racing through life and you say, like, look, as I look around, as I, like, things look pretty good. I'm like, I'm, I'm headed to worship and things are kind of heading the, the right way and, and I don't really see all the brokenness that you're talking about here. I, I would contend that you're not interested in seeing. That's choosing to stay on the ground. Don't. Why should we extend our hands, why should we imitate Jesus? Same reason as Peter. Because we know what it's like to experience love and compassion. Jesus came to us in our time of need. He didn't wait for us to get right. In fact, it was in his rightness that he came to us and gave everything for us to make us new and invite us in to his work. We can borrow the words of Paul. Paul said of his ministry, God has reconciled the world to himself through Jesus. He brought everything back together through Jesus, and now he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. We can borrow those words. So maybe you're here and, and you feel some sense of, like I can kind of identify with on some level being crippled, like being crippled by life. Like I'm just kind of beat down. I'm unable to move forward. Or maybe you're like Peter after the resurrection. Maybe there was a time where things were like close with God. You were seeing him move in really awesome ways through your faithfulness, but now it just feels distant and things seem to have dried up. God's asking you to engage in something difficult, the healing of the world. There's so much that's not right in the world. You turn the news on, like I said, you see it, right? So much not right in our own worlds when we're honest with ourselves, when we look in the mirror. And, and staying seated on the ground can sound like an attractive option. It can actually be like, you know what, I'll just stay seating here. Things aren't so bad. I'll just kind of close in. It seems like an attractive option, but it's just not the best option. Because when we stay seated on the ground, we miss God doing new things. We miss it. It's not that God won't keep doing new things. It's just that we miss it. We miss out on building trust that he can use us even in our brokenness and we miss out on taking part of the healing he wants to bring in this world. Remember Peter's sermon at Pentecost where 3,000 became followers? It was all about a God who meets us where we are and tells us the truth about ourselves. And when we look honestly at ourselves, we're like, yeah, things aren't all right in my life. Yes, you're gonna hear that from God because God tells you the truth about yourself. But if you let him, he can use you, even in the brokenness, even as you continue to be made new, if you trust him to take part in the healing of the world. Because having enough, enough trust to take Jesus by the hand and get up brings us to life. And having enough trust in Jesus to extend our hands to others so that they can experience life brings us to life as well. That's why we're called to imitate Jesus because it's good for us and it's good for the world. But we have to trust in a God who does new things. And so we're gonna close our time actually at the communion table and that's exactly what we're gonna remember there. God does surprising new things and he invites all of us into it. 
And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to share the communion table together, remembering this God who does new things. Let's pray. God, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your church. Thank you that your church isn't something that you gave up on in the first century after they did some good things and then maybe didn't do some good things. You don't give up on your church. You don't give up on your people. You see us. You meet us right where we are. You tell us the truth. You tell us we're not all right, but you tell us that you are. And you invite us back in. I pray that we would take your hand wherever we find ourselves today and we would join you in the healing you want to do in our lives and in the world around us as we trust you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.